Did you ever have anybody that you loved, that you wanted to be saved, that you had prayed for for years, and it seemed like nothing you did could get those people to change the way they look at the kingdom of God? You ever wonder why those people would not be interested in coming to Jesus to get saved? You pray for them, you you do everything, but nothing happens. Makes you wonder, doesn't it? What's wrong with these people? Well, I've spent a lot of time in the Word of God in the last 30 years, and i found a lot of these answers. And I have now come to know and understand why people do not get saved. And I'm going to make this tape so that you will be able to get your loved ones set free and get them saved. Now then I have come to realize that these people are bound by Satan. Because I'm going to prove to you from the Word of God why these people will not be saved, will not be, or they are not interested in the things of the kingdom. And I'm going to show you how to get these people saved. Now then, the first thing that you must know beyond a shadow of a doubt before you can make these things work for you is you must first know that you are a born-again, baptized believer in the Word of God. Now, after you come to Christ and after you ask him to fill you, to save you, to fill you with his Holy Spirit and to empower you to be used for the kingdom of God, then again, there are several things you must know before these things will work for you. The first thing is that you must know your position in Christ. You must know that you're seated in the heavenlies in Christ. Now, I'm going to quote quite a bit of scripture as we go along to confirm what I'm telling you because I believe that we should back up everything we say with the Word of God. Now, in Ephesians chapter 2, starting with verse 4, now this is the Living Bible translation that I'm reading out of, In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, our Lord told us, But God is so rich in mercy, He loved us so much, that even though we were spiritually dead and doomed by our sins, He gave us back our lives again when He raised Christ from the dead. Only by His undeserved favor have we ever been saved. And we have been lifted And he has lifted us up from the grave into glory along with Christ, where we sit with him in the heavenly realms, all because of what Christ Jesus did. And now God can always point to us as examples of how very, very rich his kindness is as shown in all he has done for us through Christ Jesus. Now pay specific attention to verse 6. That he has lifted us up from the grave into glory with Christ, where we 
sit with him in the heavenly realms. Now, you have to begin to understand who you are in Christ and what your position is in Christ. And if he has told us that we're seated with him in the heavenlies, you have to see yourself like that, that you're seated in heaven, in him, or in Christ. Now, you must also know that you are a joint heir with Christ, like Romans 8, 15 through 18 tells us. Now, again, let's go to the Word of God and see what it says. And so we should, starting with verse 15 in Romans 8, and so we should not be like cringing, fearful slaves, but we should behave like God's very own children, adopted into the bosom of his family and calling to him, Father, Father. For his Holy Spirit speaks to us deep in our hearts and tells us that we really are God's children. And since we are his children, we can share his treasures. For all God gives to his son Jesus is now ours too. Listen to that. For all God gives to his son Jesus is now ours too. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will give us later. Just think of that. All of the things that God gave to his son Jesus is now ours too in verse 17. Now, in the King James, that says we, are, we have been made joint heirs with Christ, which means exactly what this Living Bible translation says in Romans 8:17. For all God gives to his son Jesus is now ours too. So everything that the Father gave to Jesus is ours. You have been made a joint heir. You must know these things to be able to do spiritual warfare to get your loved ones saved. And then you must know you are a partaker of the divine nature of God. I hear so many people saying, oh, I'm just an old, unworthy sinner. When you see yourself as an old, unworthy sinner after what Jesus did for us on the cross, you must, it's just like, it's just like slapping God in the face. You're not an old, unworthy sinner anymore. You're a joint heir with Christ. You know, you are a partaker of the divine nature. You're seated with him in the heavenlies. Let's see what Second Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 8 says. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. What kind of nature? The divine nature, the divine nature of God. Think about that. 
having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things be in you and abound in you, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's so unfortunate that so many people do not see themselves like God has said he sees us. Now then, in the Living Bible, these same scriptures say, For as you know him better, he will give you through his great power everything you need for living a truly good life. He even shares his own glory and his own goodness with us. Think of that. The Lord has given us everything we need from his great power, even to share his own glory and goodness with us. And by that same mighty power, he has given us all the other rich and wonderful blessings he promised. For instance, the promise to save us from the lust and rottenness all around us and to give us his own character. Think of that. The Lord has given us this awesome power and delivered us from the rottenness and the lust of the world. And then in verse 5, But to obtain these gifts, you need more than faith. You must also work hard to be good. And even that is not enough. For then you must learn to know God better and discover what he wants you to do. Next, Learn to put aside your own desires so that you will become patient and godly, gladly letting God have his way with you. Now this will make possible the next step, which is for you to enjoy other people and to like them. And finally, you will grow to love them deeply. The more you go on in this way, the more you will grow strong spiritually and become fruitful and useful to our Lord Jesus Christ. Those are awesome scriptures there in Second Peter 1, verses 3 through 8. Now then, you must also know that you are the righteousness of God in Christ. Now in Second Corinthians chapter 5, Verses 15 through 21 and verse 6. Our Lord told us that he died for all so that all who live, having received eternal life from him, might live no longer for themselves to please themselves, but to spend their lives pleasing Christ who died and rose again for them. So stop evaluating Christians by what the world thinks about them or by what they seem to be like on the outside. Once I mistakenly thought of Christ that way, merely as a human being like myself, how differently I feel now. 
verse 17. When someone becomes a Christian, he becomes a brand new person inside. He is not the same anymore. A new life has begun. All these new things are from God who brought us back to himself through what Christ Jesus did. And God has given us the privilege of urging everyone to come into his favor and be reconciled to him. In verse 19, For God was in Christ, restoring the world to himself, no longer counting men's sins against them, but blotting them out. This is the wonderful message he has given us to tell others. We are Christ's ambassadors. God is using us to speak to you. We beg you, as though Christ himself were here pleading with you, receive the love he offers you. Be reconciled to God. For God took the sinless Christ and poured into him our sins. Then in exchange, he poured God's goodness into us. As God's partners, we beg you not to toss aside this marvelous message of God's great kindness. I want to read this same scripture in 2 Corinthians 5 in, in the King James Version. That was the Living Bible's version I just got through reading to you. This is awesome to think about, that our Lord, before you become a Christian, he was busy in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not holding man's sense against them, not even counting them against them. He is waiting patiently for us to come to Christ. And when we do, all of our sins from the past to that time have been blotted out. He'll never remember them again. When you can get that in people's spirits, people can easily be saved. Now listen to this in 2 Corinthians 5, starting with verse 15 in the King James Version. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth, know we no man after the flesh, Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new, and all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as so God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We then, as workers together with him, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain.
Now, as this scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 clearly shows us that by what our Savior has done for us on the cross, we have been made the righteousness of God in Christ. So we need to see ourselves like that. We need to know who we are in Christ. You must know who you are in Christ to be able to do effective spiritual warfare. And then you must know that Jesus destroyed the works of the devil for you. Now in 1 John chapter 3, we'll read here, uh, starting with verse 7. Oh, dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. If you are constantly doing what is good, it is because you are good, even as he is. But if you keep on sinning, it shows that you belong to Satan, who since he first began to sin has kept steadily at it. But the Son of God came to destroy these works of the devil. The person who has been born into God's family does not make a practice of sinning. Now, isn't that amazing? That tells us clearly how we can tell who the born-again children of God are. But it tells us clearly there in the last part of verse 8 that the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Now then, we're going to read in Hebrews chapter 2, start with verse 12. This is the King James Version, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praises unto you. And again, I will put my trust in him, Christ. And again, behold, I and the children which God has given me. Then here's the critical verse in verse 14. For as much then as the children, that's us, the, the church, are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself, Jesus, likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Now you'll see there very clearly there's another scripture in Hebrews 2.14 that says that through death he, Jesus, might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. Now that's very clearly laid out that by what our Savior did, he destroyed the works of the devil. Now I want to read that to you in Hebrews 2. I'm just going to read verse 14. It says, Since we, God's children, are human beings made of flesh and blood, he, Jesus, became flesh and blood too by being born in human form. For only as a human being could he die, and in dying break the power of the devil who had the power of death. And only in that way could he deliver those who through fear of death have been living all their lives as slaves to constant dread. Now, here's more scripture that guarantees that by what our Savior did on the cross, he has completely defeated the devil. Now then, 
Colossians chapter 2. When I really got revelation on these scriptures, this really has made a tremendous uh, impact on uh, my ability to do, to do spiritual warfare. Colossians chapter 2, we'll start with verse 13. I'm going to read it first in the King James, and then I'm going to read it in the Living Bible because the Living Bible makes it so clear. King James Version, Colossians 2:13, And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he, Jesus, quickened together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Now I'm going to read that in, in the Living Bible. You were dead in sins, and your sinful desires were not yet cut away. Then he, Christ, gave you a share in the very life of Christ, for he forgave all your sins. And he blotted out the charges proved against you, the list of his commandments which you had not obeyed. He took this list of sins and destroyed it by nailing it to Christ's cross. In this way, God took away Satan's power to accuse you of sin. And God openly displayed to the whole world Christ's triumph at the cross where your sins were all taken away. Think about that. The Lord, by what he did on that cross, he has taken away Satan's legal right to accuse us of our past sins. When we came to Jesus to get saved, everything we had ever done in the past was washed away by the blood. And Satan has no longer legal right to accuse us of those past sins. They were all washed away by the blood because he took that away and, and nailed it to his cross. He completely spoiled the principalities and powers. And, of course, the principalities and powers, that's Satan and his demons. And he made a show of them openly triumphed over them in the cross. Just think, he triumphed over Satan completely by what he did on that cross. Now next, you must know that you can cast out demons. So many people in the church today does not know that they have authority over demons. And so many people in the church do not understand demons. We've not had the proper teaching. But our Lord, he understood them and he created them, and he told us clearly what we could do with demons. Now, in Mark chapter 16, starting with verse 17, let's see what our Savior said. Now, this is in the King James Version, Mark 16, verse 17 and 18. And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name, the name of Jesus, shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents or Satan. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, 
and they shall recover. Now, in Mark chapter 16, in the Living Bible, in verse 17, it says, And those who believe shall use my authority, the authority of Jesus, to cast out demons, and they shall speak in new languages. They will be able even to handle snakes or Satan with safety. And if they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. And they will be able to place their hands on the sick and heal them. Now just think of that great and awesome promise the Lord has made us. We can cast out demons and we can heal the sick. All these things are ours. Now then, let's go to Luke 10 in the King James Version. And I'm going to start with verse 18 and I'm going to read 18, 19, and 20 because our Lord has given us, again, great and awesome power over Satan and his demons. Now listen to this. And this is Jesus speaking. And Jesus said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions. Now the serpent and his scorpions is Satan and his demons. And over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding in this rejoice not that the spirits or the evil spirits have to be subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Now I'm going to read that to you in the Living Bible. Luke chapter 10 verse 18. Yes, he told them, I saw Satan falling from heaven as a flash of lightning, and I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy and to walk among serpents and scorpions and to crush them. Now that serpents and scorpions is Satan and his demons and to crush them. Nothing shall injure you. However, the important thing is not that demons obey you, but that your names are registered as citizens of heaven. Now, think of what we have talked about who you are in Christ, the power that the Savior has given us over all of the spiritual wickedness. Now then, you have to know and understand these things before you can go on into the next step. But once you've got these scriptures locked into your heart and you know that you've been forgiven and you know that you're a new creature in Christ you know you're the righteousness of God in Christ you know you're seated in him in the heavenlies you know that the devil has no legal right to accuse you anymore you know that your savior Jesus has given you power to cast out demons and to heal the sick and you know that he has told you that all power has been given to you over Satan and his demons and they shall in no wise hurt you and that those evil spirits have to be subject to you. In other words, when you tell them to do something, they have to line up. They have to do what you tell them to do. So if you are walking in a love relationship, you're not carrying any grudges, no hatred, all your sins are confessed, then you are in a place to do spiritual warfare. Now, how many of you have loved ones that are, and are lost and they want nothing to do with God. 
I know many of you are that way because I have talked to many who have asked me, why can't I lead my loved one to Christ? Can they not see the wonderful things Jesus has done for us on the cross? Do they not want to go to heaven when they die? Why would anyone want to live in the devil's way here on earth and then go to hell when they die? That's beyond me. I just don't understand why my loved ones absolutely cannot hear. It's like they're not even hearing me. It's like their eyes glaze over when I try to tell them about Jesus. Or they just walk off and say, oh, that's all right, I'm not interested. Now, these are all very good questions, and it took me many years and hundreds of hours of studying the Word of God to find the answers. But I finally found them. And since then, I've used what I found to get many people saved. Now then, if you will pay very close attention, you will learn how to get your lost loved ones saved. Now, please listen carefully. Now, I have many true stories about people that was lost and wanted nothing to do with God. People who used very bad language and did many bad things, some of them for years, and they was headed straight to hell. Satan had them where he wanted them. And some of these people were sick in extremely bad health. And you, we wonder why. Well, if you will put your loved one's name in the blanks below and begin to do what the Word of God says, you will begin to see changes in their life. And it will not be long until they will come to Jesus. Now then, I've made an outline here, and I've put a place down here for you to just read through and follow these things and show you how to do this spiritual warfare. Now then, I'll start right here. I put a blank here where it says, This person's name is, so you can put your loved one's name right there. This person's name is John Doe. And if you have tried to talk to John Doe about Jesus and they did not want you to even mention the name of Jesus around them, then you can go to the Word of God to find out why this person does not want to know anything about Jesus and what you can do about it. I knew that the Word says that the Lord wants all people to be saved. The Bible is God's will. So we will see what the Bible says about all these things. Now, in John chapter 3, starting with verse 16, probably one of the most well-known scriptures today, or at least used to be. I don't know. A lot of people don't even know this one today. But in John three sixteen, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So we know right there that by what Jesus did on the cross, it was for whoever believes in him. So it's for everybody. So if John Doe was not interested in a great life here on earth and then being able to go to heaven when they die, you know something must be wrong with them. But what? So let's go to the Word of God to find the answer. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we'll start with verse 1. For it says, this is the living Bible again, it is God himself in his mercy who has given us this wonderful work of telling his good news to others. And so we never give up. We do not try to trick people into believing. We are not interested in fooling anyone. 
We never try to get anyone to believe that the Bible teaches what it doesn't. All such shameful methods we forego. And we stand in the presence of God as we speak, and so we tell the truth, as all who know us will agree. Now then, listen very carefully, because the answer is beginning here in verse 3. If the good news we preach is hidden to anyone, it is hidden from the one who is on the road to eternal death. Does that sound like your loved one? Listen to verse 4. Satan, who is the god of this evil world, has made him blind, unable to see the glorious light of the gospel that is shining upon him, or to understand the amazing message we preach about the glory of Christ, who is God. Think about that. Satan, the god of this world, has blinded the man of these people so they cannot see the light of the gospel or understand it. Isn't that amazing? Now verse 5 says we don't go around preaching about ourselves but about Christ Jesus as Lord. All we say of ourselves is that we are your slaves because of what Jesus has done for us. So now then we know from Scripture why they are not interested in being saved. The God of this world system, Satan, has blinded their eyes. So what do we do? Do we have any power or authority over Satan to get him away from this person so we can get them saved? Again, let's go back to the Word of God for the answer. All answers are in the Word of God. First John 3, 8, we talked about that earlier. He who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now this verse said Jesus destroyed the works of the devil. So let's get another verse. The Bible said, let everything be by the mouth of two or three witnesses. Now, where is that found? In Matthew chapter 18, verse 16. We read, But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, let's read here. Paul saying, This will be the third time I am coming to you. By the mouth of two or three witnesses every word shall be established. So remember, you need to make sure that whatever you do from the Word of God, you don't just take one word or one verse somewhere and try to build a doctrine on it. You need to make sure you can find at least two or three witnesses in the Word to establish everything. Now then, so then we go on to Hebrews 2.14. Since we, God's children, are human beings made flesh and blood, He, Jesus, became flesh and blood too, by being born in human form, for only as a human being, only as a human being, could he, Jesus, die, and in dying, break the power of the devil who had the power of death. And only in that way could he deliver those who, through fear of death, have been living all their lives as slaves to constant dread. 
Isn't that amazing? Those people for the first 4,000 years, all of them were the slaves of the devil. But now then, since Jesus come, he has taken us from that kingdom of darkness and put us in the kingdom of light if we can receive it by faith. Now then, let's go on down to Colossians again, chapter 2. And again, I'm going to read this verse uh, here in verse 13 and 14. In Colossians 2, in the Living Bible, this is so clear. You need to really get hold of this. Before you became a Christian, you were dead in sins, and your sinful desires were not yet cut away. Then Jesus gave you a share in the very life of Christ. For he, Jesus, forgave all your sins. And he blotted out the charges proved against you, the list of his commandments which you had not obeyed. He, Jesus, took this list of sins and destroyed it by nailing it to Christ's cross. In verse 15, he said, In this way God took away Satan's power to accuse you of sin. And God openly displayed to the whole world Christ's triumph at the cross where your sins were all taken away. Wow. Isn't that awesome? The Lord, by what he, our Father, our Heavenly Father, by what Jesus did on the cross, has completely taken away Satan's power to accuse us of sin because all of our sins were taken away. Now then, let us see what we can do about this now. Now we know Satan no longer has any right to accuse us because our sins have been forgiven. Now, let's go back to the Word of God for the answer. In Luke chapter 10, verse 19 and 20, Behold, I, Jesus, give you the authority to trample on Satan and his demons and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. Now that we know that we have authority over the enemy, and he must be subject to us, so what do we do? Well, let's go back to the Word for the answer. Now, this in the Living Bible is so clear here. This is just so clear what Paul told us. It's not quite this clear in the King James Version, but the Living Bible, it is very clear. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting with verse 3. It is true that I am an ordinary, weak human being, but I don't use human plans and methods to win my battles. I use God's mighty weapons, not those made by men, to knock down the devil's strongholds. These weapons can break down every proud argument against God and every wall that can be built to keep men from finding him, Jesus. With these weapons, I can capture rebels and bring them back to God and change them into men whose heart's desire is obedience to Christ. 
and I will use these weapons against every rebel who remains after I have first used them on you yourselves and you surrender to Christ. Now listen to that. Think what he's saying there. Evidently, the Lord has given us weapons, powerful weapons, that can break down every wall, that can capture rebels. And who are these rebels we're talking about? These are our loved ones that don't want nothing to do with God. Paul told us that these weapons we can, with these weapons we can capture those rebels and bring them back to God and change them into men whose heart's desire is obedience to Christ. And he plainly says there in verse 6, he will use these weapons against every rebel who remains after I have first used them on you. So if you, as you use these weapons on your loved ones to get them to come to Christ, then you have the right to use these weapons on everybody else that is a rebel against God. So we can bring everybody that we know their name we can bring them into the kingdom of God. Now, but these weapons are so great and so powerful, what are these weapons? Well, let's go back to the Word of God for the answer. Let's go to Matthew 16, 19. Listen to what Jesus was telling us there. And I will give you, that's us, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And he tells us again in Matthew 18, 18, and he gives us more power in verse 19. Let's read in Matthew 18, 18. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then in verse 19, more power. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. So, if Satan can be bound by the believer and the power of the Holy Spirit loosed on someone we are ready to go to battle like Paul said. Now then, the thing I want you to do, I want you to now, this is where all those scriptures we talked about at first are going to come into play. Now you must see yourself in the heavens, in Christ, as the Lord sees you. You must be able to look down from inside Christ for you will be protected from the enemy, which is Satan and his host. You must look down at Satan under your feet and begin to praise the Lord for what he has done for you as a child of God. Just praise him and worship him for a while. Thank him for these great and awesome promises. Quote these verses over. Praise him. Worship him. Thank the Father. Thank Jesus. Thank the Holy Spirit. Praise Him for all these great and awesome promises that He's given to us and where He has seated us in the heavenlies, in Christ. Now, when you begin to really see yourself in the heavens, in Christ, now you're ready to begin 
the warfare prayer. Now then, this is the warfare prayer. Heavenly Father, I praise your holy name. I just praise you, Lord. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Holy Spirit. I am so glad that you forgave me all my sins by what Jesus did on the cross. I am so glad I can come directly into your throne room and ask you for whatever I want that is according to your will. Since I know that you want all people saved, I know that you will hear this prayer and answer it. Now, first, Father, you said that if any be lost, it is because their eyes are blinded by the God of this world, which is Satan. You told me to buy faith in your word, to bind Satan and to get him out of my friend's life. So, Satan, I command you in the name of Jesus, my Savior, to leave John Doe alone. I command you to take your demons of doubt and unbelief away from John Doe. Now then, I am in the heavenlies. I am in Christ. I am looking down from the heavens. I am seated high above you, Satan, in the heavens. I am in Christ. I am looking down from the third heaven where I am seated with Jesus. I am looking down through his eyes through the second heaven. I am looking down through the first heaven to the demons below. And I take the word of God, and I, which is the sword of the Spirit, and I sever the communications and the power lines that are being transmitted from the heavenlies, from the spiritual wickedness in the heavenlies to the demons on the earth below that are blinding the eyes and the mind of my loved one, John Doe. Now then, that I have broken and cut the communication lines off from the spiritual wickedness in the heavenlies that were transmitting their power and communications to the demons below, I now command you to take all demons away from him that are blinding his eyes and his heart from knowing and understanding and receiving the good news of Jesus and his kingdom. I break all the power of the enemy in the heavenlies from any communications or power to flow to the demons on earth. Now that the demons are gone, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to send the Holy Spirit to hover over him and convict John Doe of sin and draw him into the kingdom of God. Now, Father... In the name of Jesus, I ask you to send labors into the harvest to bring him into your kingdom. Because you said in your word in Matthew 9:38, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into the harvest. And also in Luke 10:2, you said, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out labors. So, Father, I ask you to send forth the correct labors. And if that labor can be me, send me. If it is not me, then send the correct labor into the harvest to bring John Doe into the kingdom of God. I now claim his spirit, his soul, and his body for you and for your kingdom forever in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, Lord, I want to thank you in advance for hearing this prayer and answering this prayer. I know I have the answer to this prayer because it is spoken in accordance with your will. And, that, and I know I have my answer 
because it is written in your word that if I ask anything according to your will, the answer is yes, because you wrote for me in 1 John 5:14, And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. You also confirm this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. For all the promises of God in him, Jesus, are yes. And in him, Jesus, amen, to the glory of God through us. So thank you, Father, for saving John Doe. Amen, 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 and praise the Lord. Now then, if you will do this kind of spiritual warfare from the heavenlies, Realizing that Satan, all your sins are confessed. That you're walking in a love relationship. You have no unforgiveness or nothing toward anyone. You are a child of God with all your sins confessed. Make sure you're going to church. Make sure you're tithing. Be doing everything the Lord told us to do. Because as a tither, you're in covenant with the Lord. He told us in Hebrews 10.25 to go to church. He told us to be a tither. He told us to be a giver, a a joyous giver, and to walk in love toward all people. So make sure you're an obedient child to the Lord. If you are, then these things will work for you. Satan will have no legal right to you, and you will be able to get great and awesome things done. Now, if you will pray this prayer every day, Every day. Uh, I, I would say sometimes you will get this done in one day. But sometimes it may take a week or two weeks or sometimes three or four weeks. But every time you pray this prayer, you pray this prayer in faith, being sure that you know that there's no doubt in your mind that Satan has to be subject to you and that by praying and speaking these things, You have gotten rid of every demon. And if you will pray this prayer in faith, in behalf of God's written word, then it won't be long that this person will want to know how to become a Christian. Now then, if they want to know how to become a Christian, you need to have all the information ready to lead that person to Jesus. So, be prepared. Know Romans chapter 10, verse 8, 9, and 10, and the other scriptures. And this is the thing. We're not armed well enough. So, you must take this scripture. Now, when I first started these kind of things, you can take an outline like this one that I'm going to give you. And with this written outline, you can take this outline and actually sit down after doing the spiritual warfare praying. And just read this line for line and lead people into the kingdom of God. Because let me, let me show, let me tell you what Romans chapter 10 verse 8, 9, and 10 says. It says, For salvation that comes from trusting Christ, which is what we preach, is already within easy reach of each of us. In fact, it is as near as our own hearts and mouths. For if you tell others with your own mouth that Jesus Christ is your Lord and believe in your own heart 
that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that a man becomes right with God and with his mouth he tells others of his faith confirming his salvation. For the scripture tells us that no one who believes in Christ will ever be disappointed. Now then, when either you go and approach your loved one after you've done this spiritual warfare praying or when they approach you either way, but uh, if they don't approach you pretty soon, you approach them because they will be ready to listen now to what God says because the demonic spirits that have been blinding their mind and their eyes and their heart will no longer be able to do that because you have taken your authority as a son or a daughter of the king of the universe and you have commanded those spirits to leave them so now then they will be ready to listen. Two scriptures like John 3.16 where God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him, Jesus, is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Now then in Romans 3, 22, it says, Now God says he will accept and acquit us, declare us not guilty, if we trust Jesus Christ to take away our sins. And we all can be saved in this same way by coming to Christ, no matter who we are or what we have been like. Yes, all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of God's glorious ideal. Yet now God declares us not guilty of offending him if we trust in Jesus Christ who in his kindness freely takes away our sins. For God sent Christ Jesus to take the punishment for our sins and to end all God's anger against us. He, God, used Christ's blood and our faith as the means of saving us from his wrath. In this way, he was being entirely fair, even though... He did not punish those who sinned in former times, for he was looking forward to the time when Christ would come and take away those sins. And now, in these days also, he can receive sinners in this same way because Jesus took away their sins. But isn't this unfair for God to let criminals go free and say that they are innocent? No, for he does it on the basis of their trust in Jesus who took away their sins. Now in Romans 6, 22, it says, But now you are free from the power of sin, and you are slaves of God, and his benefits to you include holiness and everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now that is in Romans 6, 22 and 23. Now then, <clears throat> we go back to Romans 10, 8. For salvation that comes from trusting Christ, which is what we preach, 
is already within easy reach of each of us. In fact, it is, it is as near as our own hearts and mouths. For if you tell others with your own mouth that Jesus Christ is your Lord, and you believe in your own heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that a man becomes right with God, and it is with his mouth that he tells others of his faith, confirming his salvation. For the scripture tells us that no one who believes in Christ will ever be disappointed. Now then the Jew and the Gentile are the same in this respect. They all have the same Lord who generously gives his riches to all those who ask him for them. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Now what we should do and live like after we become a Christian. Who God says we are in him and the message we should be telling others. Now of course we read that while ago in 2 Corinthians 5 that we have now become a new creature in Christ by what the Lord did for us on the cross. So for sure we need to be walking in holiness after we come to Jesus. Now then, the salvation prayer. This is so simple. Whenever you go to lead somebody to Jesus, this is the prayer you need to pray with them. Heavenly Father, I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I ask you to come into my heart and be my Savior. I ask you to be my Lord. I repent of all my sin, and I promise to read your word and to do what it says from now on. I ask you now to fill me with your Holy Spirit. I thank you, Father, for saving me and filling me with your Holy Spirit. I ask all of this in the precious name of Jesus Christ, your only Son. Now then, thank you, Lord, for saving me. Now, after you've done that, there's other things that you now need to do. Number one, and the most important, is you need to go tell someone you have just been saved. If there's somebody right there with you, you need to tell them now, I am saved. And then it is very important that you begin to tell people about Jesus because with the mouth, confession is made about Jesus. Now then, the second thing you should do, after you have, we did this in the prayer, but you need to know why we did this. We ask the Father in the name of Jesus to fill us with the Holy Spirit. Now then, the reason we ask for that, because the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8 says, But when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will receive power to testify about me with great effect to the people in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth about my death and resurrection. So I've come to realize that if you don't ask the Father in the name of Jesus to baptize you with the power of the Holy Spirit and then to fill you day by day, you will slowly kind of fall away from witnessing and testifying about Christ. But if you will ask him to baptize you with the power of the Holy Spirit and then Ask him every day to refill you with the Holy Spirit and to use you mightily in his kingdom. 
and ask him to give you great and awesome revelation and wisdom from the word of God. As you do that, he will do that. Then the third thing you need to do is you need to be baptized in water because Matthew 28:19 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So, to do that, you need to go to church. Go find you a church and get in it and find you a good one. And, of course, uh, the Lord told us in Hebrews 10:25, He said, Let us not neglect our church meetings as some people do, but encourage and warn each other especially now that the day of his coming back again is drawing near. So the reason we need to be in a good church, in a good Bible study, and listening to good preaching is so we can renew our mind with the Word of God, become an obedient son or daughter, so we will learn who we are and what we can do and the power that the Lord has given us. So to do that, we need to start learning reading our owner's manual, which is the Bible, so you can learn what you can do. Now then, the fifth thing you need to do is in the church you go to, you need to begin to tithe. You need to give the Lord at least 10% of your gross earnings so he will be able to bless you. Now, let's read some scriptures here in in Malachi and Matthew and Luke. I want to give you some scripture here. In Malachi 3, 8, through 11, it says, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, In what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. And you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Now bring all the tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. And see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And here's a very important verse in verse 11. And I will rebuke the devourer, which is the devil, for your sakes, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. So tithing gives you great power with the Lord because he said if you will give him one-tenth of all your income, he will rebuke the devil for your sakes and you will have much, much better luck as you go along in life than you will if you do not. Now also in Luke chapter 6 verse 38, the Lord told us, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. So, again, the Lord wants to bless us. Satan, after you get saved, he will not want you to be blessed. So he will definitely want you not to go to church. And if you do go to church, he will not want you to give. Because the scriptures plainly teach that if we're obedient and we tithe, that the more we give to the Lord, the greater will be our rewards. And Satan surely does not want you to be blessed. 
And then in Matthew 23, 23, the Lord told us, Yes, woe upon you Pharisees and you other religious leaders, you hypocrites, for you tithe down to the last mint leaf in your garden, but you ignore the important things, which are justice and mercy and faith. Yes, you should tithe, but you shouldn't leave the other things, the other more important things, undone. And then after you learn to tithe, the sixth thing you need to do is study the Word of God. And Second Timothy 2.15, the Lord says, Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. This is a, one of the most important things that you will ever do, is study the word of God. If you will study it, first of all, you must believe that everything in the word is literal. When the Lord said something, he meant it. If he told you to do something, do it. If he told you not to do something, don't do it. So it's the Bible is not hard to understand. Just read it. Ask the, when you go to read the Bible, something I have learned, that when we read the Word of God in Matthew chapter 13 and Mark chapter 4 and Luke chapter 8, our Lord told us that when we read the Word and do not fully understand the Word, Satan comes immediately and steals the Word out of our mind and our heart. So since we do not want him to steal the Word away from us, when you sit down to read the Word of God, the first thing you should do is you should take authority over the enemy, Satan, and his demons and command them to leave your house and do not steal one single word out of your heart or your mind, and then ask the Father in the name of Jesus to give you revelation and wisdom from his mighty word so that you can lock his word in your heart and in your mind so that you will not sin against God, so that you can use these scriptures whenever the Holy Spirit needs to bring them forth to get other people saved, and healed and delivered and also to walk in holiness yourself. Now then, in Philippians chapter 4, the Lord tells us, Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are unselfish and considerate in all you do. Remember that the Lord is coming soon. Now, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God your needs. And don't forget to thank Him for His answers. Now, that's always thank the Lord as soon as you pray. Believe you have received and thank Him immediately because this is faith. Now then, He tells us there in uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 7 now, if you do this, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will keep your thoughts and your hearts quiet and at rest as you trust in Christ. And now, brothers, as I close this letter, let me say this one more thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true 
and good and right. Think about things that are pure and lovely and dwell on the fine good things in others. Think about all you can praise God for and be glad about it. Keep putting into practice all you've learned from me and saw me doing and the God of peace will be with you. Now that's uh, Philippians chapter 4. Uh, verses uh, 8 and 9, those last two verses. And then one last verse, always remember, in Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, 19, and 20. But it says, But as God is faithful, our word to you was not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Salvanus and Timothy was not yes and no, but in him was yes. For all the promises of God in Christ are yes, and in Christ, amen, to the glory of God through us. Remember, the devil will do his best to steal this away from you. But whatever you do, you don't let the devil steal this away from you. Remembering that all the promises of God are yes. Now then, after we've done this spiritual warfare praying, since we've led you through the prayer of salvation and these things, now then, we're going to go on into some other teaching. Now then, I want to do just a little bit of teaching on faith. Uh, it's, It's something that you get from God according to uh, Romans chapter 3 uh, Romans chapter 12 verse 3 uh, God has given every man the measure of faith now he gives each one of us enough faith to get saved once we get saved then what we do with this faith after that is dependent upon us because in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 he says for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. And then in Romans ten seventeen, so he says, then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. <clears throat> you know, now, we're not tr- trying to get faith. You know, we're not, pray- we're not praying for faith. You can't pray for faith. Uh, I've had lots of people tell me over the years when they've seen my bold faith, they say, Lord, They'll say, Thurman, pray for me that the Lord will give me more faith. That's not a scriptural prayer. There's only one way to get faith, and that's just like Romans 10:17 says. You get faith by hearing the Word of God. <clears throat> so what you do is you study, you, you read the Word of God, you, pr- you do pray for knowledge and wisdom and revelation and understanding from the Word of God. But you will have to be the one that will do it. It is not up to God for you to have great faith. You know, it's up to you what you do with this measure of faith that God has given you. So, this this measure of faith that you have can definitely be increased. But you're the one who's going to increase it, not God. You know, faith... The Bible says in Hebrews 11:6 that it's impossible to please God without faith. 
Now there's a, a lot of different kinds of faith that the Bible talks about. Uh, over in 1 Timothy uh, 1.19, Paul speaks about shipwrecked faith. He says here, I'll read this verse to you, holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. In other words, if you don't continue to study the Word of God and believe God and believe what He says, then you will not be able to have faith. Now then, this is the kind of faith that we need in 1 John 5, 4. The Lord told us here, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. You know, so the thing about it is, if you have faith and you get to where you trust the Lord, in fact, faith is actually the Word of God, knowing the Word of God and trusting in what it says. Now, this is something that will take a while to do. I know I've been studying the Bible for 30 years and only in the last 10 or 15 years has my faith begun to really go through the roof. And as it has, as I have believed God for what he's written in his word, I have seen him do great and awesome things, really great things. In fact, right here I might tell you a little story on this tape to build your faith. Uh, this is... Uh, about November the 11th, I guess, 1999, when I'm making this tape. But last May, four years ago, May in 1995, a young couple asked me to come to their home. They had an 11-year-old son. Now, I'd been teaching faith, and they were hearing me teach this. So they asked me to come to their home, and they had an 11-year-old son that his body, his face, his, his hands... Uh, he had just these huge warts all over his body. Well, when I got there, the boy showed me these warts, and he said, I hate it because everybody at school calls me warty. And I told him, son, there's something you need to know about our God. I said, need does not move the hand of God. Only faith in his word. I said, now then... If you come to God by faith in his word, he will literally stop the world to take these warts off your body. So for the next two and a half hours or so, I went through the word of God, reading to him great and awesome promises. Now, I will read you a couple of the verses that I used to show you what faith is. Now, this verse here in Mark 11, uh, I'll read this little story to you here. <coughs> In verse 12, and it says, On the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, Jesus was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came, if happily he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. And in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursed is withered away. In other words, the tree had died just because he spoke to the tree. And Jesus answering and said unto them, Have faith in God. 
Now listen to what you can do if you believe God. In Mark eleven twenty three, Jesus speaking, he said, For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Now, I went through several places like this for the next two and a half hours to build Philip's faith in the Word of God. And then after about two and a half hours, I asked him a question, just like Jesus always did. I said, now, Philip, do you believe that Jesus that I've read about this afternoon can take these warts off of your body? And he said, Mr. Scrivener, after what I've heard you read this afternoon, I believe he can do anything. I said, son, that's great faith. I said, there'll be no problem now. I said, let's turn over to Matthew eighteen nineteen. We turn to Matthew chapter 18, verse 19, and again, Jesus is speaking. And Jesus said, and again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask me for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. So I told him, I said, now then, he says there needs to be two of us and we need to be on earth. So I said, there is five of us counting you and your sister and your mother and your dad and me. And we are on the earth. So we meet all the criteria that the Lord required. And so we're going to pray by faith. So we knelt there on the floor and I asked the heavenly father in the name of Jesus. And I might tell you at this point, there is no prayers answered by God the father in heaven except you ask Heavenly Father in the name of Jesus. So you should never pray any way other than Father or Heavenly Father in the name of Jesus. And then when you get through asking Him for what you need, praise Him and thank Him for the answer. Never ask the Lord for anything without thanking Him and praising Him for the answer. And we did that. And then after we got through with that, we stood up and his mother asked me, said, well, Thurman, when are these warts going to come off of Philip? I told her, I said, that's the only thing that the Lord does not tell me. But I will guarantee you, if you will stay in faith with me, with no doubt in your heart, in a matter of a few days to a few weeks, Philip will have no warts on his body. They will all come off because it is written in the word of God that if two of us agree about anything that's according to God's will, and we know for a fact that healing is according to his will, I said, they will come off. Now, I said, I guarantee you something else. When I walk out of this house, there's going to be an enemy come in here, and his name's Satan, and he is going to put a thought in your mind. Now, you don't really think just because this old gray-headed man came over here and read a few verses out of this Bible, and then knelt there on the floor and spoke a few words into the atmosphere that these warts has been on Philip's body for 11 years, even that where the doctors burned them off of his hand, they even came back in the scars. You don't really think those warts are going to go away. I said, now when that happens, do not entertain that thought. I said, you grab your Bible, and you open it to Matthew 18:19, and you say, Satan... Listen to what God says. 
Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask me for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. So I said, tell the devil to leave in the name of Jesus, and he will. Well, I left there that afternoon about 5.30, Sunday afternoon. And the next morning, uh, the mother went in to check the boy at 7 o'clock, and already the warts on the ends of his fingers were already gone. So we praised the Lord because over the next three weeks, all of Philip's warts went away. And then even all of them but the scars on the backs of his hands where they had burned them off. And then the next week, our precious Jesus even removed the scars off of Philip Anthony Wren's body. Today, four years, over four years later, nearly four and a half years later at this time, Philip does not have a wart or a scar on his body. Now, this is why I'm telling you that faith is the most important thing in the Bible after you get saved. Faith is knowing the Word of God and believing what it says. So if you'll believe God and you'll come to Him by faith, there will be nothing that you cannot do. In fact, I might like to quote uh, Mark chapter 9, verse 23 to you right now. And that scripture, Jesus again was speaking. He said, to them that believe, nothing shall be impossible with you. The reason faith is so important, you have to know that earlier, whenever you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have to believe that by faith because it's written in the Word of God. Because according to the Bible, you can't even be saved without faith. Because it is written, By grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Now that's in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. So the thing about it is, you have to have faith, or you have to have knowledge, or trust in what is written in the Word of God, even to be saved. So the devil will come along and try to steal your salvation away from you, getting you to think that you didn't receive anything, this was not really real, but you continue to hang in there and believe God's word. You have to have faith. Whereas in Hebrews 11:6, the Lord says clearly, without faith it is impossible to please God. So you must believe the Lord and you must believe him by faith. Then he told us also in James chapter 1, there's a very awesome promise there in James chapter 1. The Lord says, he starts with verse 5. He says, does any man lack wisdom? He should come and ask God, who gives liberally without finding fault. So that sounds like that anybody and everybody that comes to God for any reason can come and either believing or not believing, you could get faith just by merely asking. But verse 6 says, But when you ask, you must believe you have received what you ask for, with no doubt. Because the man that doubts is like a wave of the sea that's tossed and turned. And that person need not think the Lord will do anything for you. So that's why when you come to the Lord, You must come to him by faith. You must come to him on behalf of his word. It is written. So as you search this Bible for great and awesome promises, as you search this book, 
and you find those great and wonderful promises, you have to realize that the Lord meant just exactly what he said in his word. And he will do just exactly what he says he will do. But you have to believe him and you have to stand on it. In fact, uh, just the other day, uh, in fact, I had a tremendous uh, uh, praise report just last Friday night. There was a man by the name of Stephen that had been to our tent makers Saturday night a couple of weeks ago. And uh, he had uh, ulcerated colon, I say, I forget how you say, uh, ulcerated uh, colitis, I believe is the way they pronounce that. I'm not sure about all these problems we have. But anyway, I believe that's what he said he had, ulcerated colitis. And it was incurable. And he'd had it for quite a while. And he came and asked me if I would pray for him. And I said, yes. Uh, first of all, I said, God's blessings are conditional. I said, are you holding any grudges against anybody? Any unforgiveness? He said, no. I said, you're walking in a love relationship. He said, yes. I said, have you got your sins all confessed to the Lord? He said, yes, as far as I know. I meet all those requirements. I said, good. If you meet all those requirements, then I will lay hands on you and pray for you because it is written in Mark chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus said, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So I said, I'll pray for you and ask the Father in the name of Jesus to heal you from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. And then I'll thank him for doing it. He said, do you really believe God will heal me? I said, no, sir. I don't believe he will. I know he will. I said, if you will believe him, I know he will heal you. I said, in fact, I prayed for him. I said, now I guarantee you in two or three days you will be healed because it is written. And sure enough, last Friday night he called us to let us know that he is off of all medication and that the Lord has completely healed him and he's just doing great. So you can only get those kind of things done by faith in God's word. You take these great and awesome promises that our Lord has made us and you stand on them just like they're written. Believe him and the main secret to this is be obedient to the Word of God. Walk in a love relationship to all people all the time, and then your faith will work. Because Galatians chapter 5, verse 6 says, Your faith worketh by love. So whatever you do, walk in love toward all people all time. Hold no grudges and worship and praise the Lord and thank Him for His Word and these great and awesome promises will be yours. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord.